I V M. A niche thing explores subcultures around us that make for great interests and hobbies. These range from topics like affordable art to exploring the world of coffee, hi-fi, sneakers, watches, vintage fashion, where the list goes on and on. It's a podcast with something for everyone. So let the conversation begin. On today's episode of A Niche Thing, I spoke with Anupam about financial advice in your 30s. Now, 30s is a very important decade. I'm in my, uh, well, on the other side of my 30s, and I wish I knew a lot of these things before. So I hope this episode is helpful and we'll get into it right after these short messages. Welcome to the show, Anupam. Good to have you. Thanks for having me, man. Well, it's like really cool to be here. Well, you've been a podcaster for seven years. I just uh, figured that out. <laughs> That's been a while, man. That's yeah, cool. we, we are going to finish our sixth year in May and start the seventh sometime around there. But yeah, we are about... I think we'll be hitting 400 episodes every Monday, like 200 plus guests and just lost track. It's been a whole lot of fun. And just tell me a little bit more about your journey and the podcast as well. So I'm a chartered accountant and I used to work in the markets for the longest till about 2018. So that's about 20 years. 99, I got my um, degree in 98 and then I was working in the markets in some way or the other, but mainly as an analyst on the research side from 98 to 2018. Sometimes as a uh, full-time analyst, sometimes as a consultant. That was actually my last uh, role, which was with Saurabh Mukherjee, who's now, who runs Marcellus. At that point of time, he was uh, head of equities at Ambit Institutional Equities. Very successful at what he did, and now his fund is also doing quite well. So I worked with him as a consultant at, at Ambit, writing some of the reports. And then we wrote a book together called The Victory Project that happened in 2020, released during the lockdown and pandemic and all that. And then I wrote my own book, which is called The Wisest Owl. It was out last year and uh, I'm working on my second book, which is a biography of uh, corporate personality. And the podcast, like I said, has been going on, you know, so I'm 50. My whole, I've just not followed a linear path. I've always loved writing and it kind of took me a long while to actually get into it full time. So that's the small summary of it. So now that you're 50 and, and today's episode, the whole crux is about finances in the 30s, <laughs> right? And yeah. 30s is such an important decade. I'm in that. I'm on the later side of my 30s. But when I look at my journey, I wish I had more solid advice about 30s. Yeah. Because 30s financially, in a way, will set you up for most of your future uh, going forward. And with the financial thing, it's also about how you look at your job, how you look at everything else, right? So that's what I wanted to get some insights from you. You're bang on target. 30s is a foundation. When you can do shit in 30s that you can never even think of 40s and 50s. You you have to take your 30s like really seriously if you want to ensure that 40s and 50s are sorted. And I don't want to get into the career and work at it because there are better people for that. I can only speak from the finances side because... This is the age where you've probably spent, let's say that you graduate at 25, 26, I don't know, 27, let's say. Although some people graduate in their 30s also, but let's for the sake of uh, conversation assume that you're in, you graduate in your late 20s. So you've spent about, my guess is five years or seven years or eight years in your job. Okay, I'm also going to assume that you're not someone who starts a startup straight away. Okay, because I honestly am not familiar with that side of the equation. I really don't know how that works. You probably would know more. Yeah than me on that because I think that involves a very different amount of risk which I think changes the way you think by the time that you're in that that you're in your 30s I come from a more of a corporate or a working background where I know that by the time I'm in my early 30s I've got a very clear idea of where I am in the job I would say that your confidence in your job 
whether it's first, second, whatever, is your highest in the 30s. And you got to use that. A lot of time, we kind of tend to lose track of that, you know. So a good place to start for a lot of people would be if you understand what what finances are. Because at the age of 32, 33, 34, 35, you can't say that I don't know what stock market is. You can't say that I don't know what mutual fund is because uh, that's not going to look good on you. <laughs> people are saying that you need to teach this in school. But anyway, so if you've not, then that's a good place to start. Understand how stuff works. You know, that do you have a DMAT? I mean, do you have the basic financial products? If you do, great. If you don't, then maybe you want to consider that. I always like to, yeah, go on, sorry. But it's it's interesting you spoke about the stock market. I think a lot of my peers, and including me for some (laughs) extent, have only learned about the stock market in the last three, four, five years. Not in the early 30s, though. Which is fine. I mean, interest in the stock market only comes (laughs) when the market is going up. Otherwise, no one really cares much about it. But this time, of course, was very different because you've not, in living memory, had a situation where pretty much the entire working population is locked up at home yeah. and has no choice. You know, and that led to a lot of uh, random stuff that happened. Um, some of it good, not all of it good. Whether it was Netflix and all, so the stock market was just part of that. The year is twenty twenty three now, and now you're going to see things normalize. People who got in at that point of time, now what are you doing? Because the last year the market has given you exactly zero. Okay, maybe 4% or whatever. And FD rates are at 7-8%. So what do you do? So anyway, yeah, you know, so um, if you've, you know, if you've come in the markets here in the last two, three years, then it's a good time for you to understand where you are, what you've done. Right, let me just take two steps back and talk about the basics because a lot of time people don't get the basics, whether you're at 25 or 35, whatever, which is emergency corpus and insurance. I think those two are non-negotiable things. Emergency copies, again, depends on, you know, what's your profile and stuff like that. I usually like to make emergency copies into essential expenditure multiplied by six months. Okay, and essential does not include an iPhone. It's, it's basically what you need. So em- em- emergency copies is something that all of us need to have. And you should park it usually in a very high quality fixed deposit or, you know, debt mutual fund, depending on how your risk return profile is. Health insurance, again, it's not enough that your company does it. You need to have one of your own. And health insurance, it's always a good idea to do it when you're healthy. Don't wait to go to the hospital, you know, and um, again, see if your parents have it. It's always a good idea to have your parents' health insurance insured because health costs are just going to go up and illnesses are not going to go away, okay, because there's more of the lifestyle shit happening these days. Anyway, so emergency corpus and health insurance, and I'll also put life insurance out there. If these three things are sorted, now we can have a conversation, you know, but okay, what next? I think then what's a good idea is to understand your risk profile. And 30s is usually a good time because, like I said, your confidence is high. You've got a good job. You have visibility, I would say, of at least the next five years. And that's usually a good thing. Start setting your goals. I think goals and then you work backward. This is the stuff that I wish I was told when I was 30s. Very, very clearly. Because in 30s, I honestly didn't care. Yeah, and it, it, it does sound quite simple, right? But even I didn't care. In the yeah, early 30s. I did. I did. For me, it was like, wow, I'm in a job. And at that point of time, I think the markets are going up. My salary was doing like really well. And why did I? I, mean, I wouldn't really care for the 40s. I mean, that was 2003, <laughs> 2004 for me. Yeah, that was like, you know, the multiplexes were coming in. Uh, there were no coffee shops then at that point of time. And it was just a very good place to be in. Absolutely no visibility on 40s. Leave alone. I'm 50 now, right? And that's the stuff that I wish I was told. That listen, you know, just take down a pen and paper, sit down and tell me what you want to do at 40. Tell me what you want to do at 50. Okay. So that's the first hack or tip or whatever you want to call it. And then work backwards. 
The second thing then after that goal planning thing is house plays a very important role in this in your entire finances. It can completely take your you know your numbers here and numbers there and all. And house is a tricky one. Best case scenario, you've got parents and you really don't need to care about your house. Fantastic, you can be more aggressive in life. If you need to buy your own house, thirties is when you start planning. You know, ideally, it's going to take you. My guess is five, seven, five years, seven years to just get the deposit. and then figure out all that okay so there you go that's again plan for the house i don't know whether you're going to be married or kids because that again in that again adds layers to the entire thing because if you have a kid the first 10 years are not such a big deal it's later on when you need to save for that so you set up goals like this usually uh, what is with the housing situation though right uh, what is more advisable uh, rent or buy oh yeah big one on <laughs> on on my show i've always done so many episodes with so many different types of people and i you know being at the age of 50 i know now a lot of corporate people who are uh, pretty much on the verge of retirement and stuff like that and this conversation again comes up because most of them have their own house probably a second house also and there are some who just refuse to even given now i mean these people could like buy the house they're staying in and again you know buy some more but they are like i'm getting an asset at 2 3% yield why should i even you know my money in the market is earning so much even if i keep it in an fd i'm getting 8% interest so i'm getting 8% interest for an asset for which i'm paying 2% yield it financially doesn't make sense but that's the excel part the emotional part unfortunately is a different trip here it really depends on person to person so i don't want to i usually say you know rent when you want when you can buy when you must Keep yeah. keep the buying only when you're like really convinced. You know, like point number one, you're never going to leave Bombay, India, wherever you are, and you're going to be there for a significantly long period of time. Number two, you can't stand landlords. I was in that phase once where, you know, landlords usually, if you have a good landlord, great. If you don't, then that's a bit of a thing. And I had I've seen both sides of the table. If you can't deal with that, I couldn't deal with it. Then you might want to consider. And I think third is. the market that tends to play a role because i know that in 2020 during the lockdown it was bizarre i mean there was stuff that people hadn't seen in 10 years you had deals coming in you had discounts coming in you had offers coming in interest rates were low people just jumped in and one year later they were like you know this is we did the right thing with people who actually believed in the rent equation but that's that's not going to happen again at least you know let's not hope for a lockdown or a situation like this again but rent i think should suit your needs it gives you a lot of flexibility in life it rent gives you a lot of flexibility in life but use that period to just keep a goal somewhere in your mind that at the age of 40 if you want to buy a house what would that what would those economics work like for you at that point of time so i think that is a slightly complicated answer because there really is no black and white answer to that question anish yeah fair and i think in bombay the conversation always becomes that uh, I really don't want to do up the house too much <laughs> because yeah. it's on rent and you don't know what's going to happen in the next two years. Yeah, where the landlord sells it, like we've heard those stories so often, right? Yeah, and the good part about being in Bombay, pretty much anywhere, is that you'll always have options yeah. for rent. You will always have options. I mean, you know, the Western suburbs we you stay in, where where I stay, there are always options, but they also come at a cost. And usually, housing costs rent is somewhere like thirty percent of your income. that can be a large chunk okay but it's not 50% which is what emi typically can do if you buy at an early stage in your career like that can really eat in a big chunk the advantage of course is that you've sorted a very big need 
very early in life and that gives you a lot of freedom later on so like i said positives negatives positives negatives you just said 30% are there any any more of these kind of formulas like this so india india has a nice savings rate itself of 30% okay which means that you know after you earn 100 rupees and you spend and everything you still got 30 that you can put and invest and that's a very strong culture that's that's still true even today in this age of whatever we want to call it consumerism and loans and all that so and this is data that i've got from the the guests on my show we've got a really strong credit culture i mean there will al- there'll always be non performing assets and people who default that's fine but that's had and done and that culture even till today is still more or less intact you have a lot of friends in your age group i don't think you really would have heard of many people who defaulted on their credit card debt yeah. if they have they learned from this there's no one that would really go into a debt spiral it does happen but it's not that often but a good equation to remember is you know just in your 30s please save as much as you can this is the age when you're most susceptible to lifestyle random decisions okay ayashi ka kharcha you know because you're in friends you're in groups you're going out you've got a good job you've got everything in your favor so that need to you know to just splurge is crazy that urge is real it is absolutely it's real. real i i know it i've been through it you know and i was in my 30s when there wasn't even an iphone and even when the iphone came i was in the whole you know buy one every year and you remember that i mean you were on twitter what, what did you guys splurge on in your 30s <laughs> <laughs> you're making me sound like an old man uh watches watches mm. used to be a thing out there i i remember i probably had a different watch for every day oh good lord i hope my wife is not i got married in 2005 anyway watches were the thing yeah uh, going out today in 30s where if you're in bombay going out to the thing you know bangalore obviously is getting that culture now yeah but metros like bombay and delhi have always had going out you have to weekend means your so you know movie drinks and all of that stuff was always there so and that was stuff that i used to always think as essential i even think of it as essential now like i have a 14 year old it's it's obvious okay that avatar is out you got to go and see it yeah. you got to see it in imax so as of now i would not think of you know watching a movie like avatar in a single screen yeah that time you didn't have multiplexes and you know the difference between a single screen and imax is big okay and you repeat that for four times a month or even twice a month which is how often you would see a movie it adds up yeah okay so yeah and at that point of time in my 30 so i mean that's the answer to your question there were no sneakers <laughs> there were no hoodies there were no mobile phones but uh, Yeah, these were the expenses. There's a there's <laughs> a there's a watch channel I follow, Watch Gringa on YouTube. Uh, what's he doing? And, and she just put out her last video saying that you know what, guys, winter's coming. <laughs> it's okay to not buy watches. We all love watches. <laughs> it's also always impulsive to buy one more watch, mm. but it's okay to take it easy and not uh, yeah think about it's it. It's good much. to be sobering at the, you know good to be sober that way. But yeah, I mean. I, and swatch was my thing and i never really reached to the old swiss watch thing although i think when my office colleagues had gone for a trip to hong kong and they had gotten fake rolex oh, and yeah, fake yeah. omega and i just yeah. took one and i was like wow this looks cool i can't afford that so that's what i used to splurge on yeah so 30s um, splurging yeah i see that in my circles quite a bit right what about uh, credit cards because i have again in my peers what i see is that me and a lot of us will only use credit cards and then i have a few friends who don't have a credit card and i don't yeah. understand why would you not have a credit card so why would you not have a credit card is some is i guess because it it just 
it just makes things a little bit simpler for you. You're just spending, you know that your money's in the bank and you're spending from that and that's what you're done. You don't owe any anyone any money. And for a lot of people, that is that is comfort, whether it's a UPI, whether it's a debit card or whatever it is, that just kind of makes people more comfortable towards that. I personally can't um, deal with that because more because of my um, circumstances that I haven't worked now for 10 years. So I don't have a recurring salary. So credit, but expenses will keep on recurring. Yeah. So the only way for me to manage them is to credit cards because I can spend on whatever I have to spend and figure out the income later because a credit card is a 0% 45-day loan and someone's actually giving you points to spend. Yeah. Yeah. So why would you say no to that? If you can instill some discipline in yourself, credit cards are awesome. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going by, by, by my limited experience of that. And I, I can't, I mean, I've had a credit card since my first job. So that would be late 90s. And I blew up, I blew up, I think the first month or second month itself, I went overboard and I didn't pay. And I learned my lesson then. But since then, I've never once defaulted. I've got a credit score of about 795 or something. And I've, you know, we've done so many shows on credit habits, credit scores. It's a good thing to have a credit card because it just instills that discipline in you. And eventually in life, you will need, you know, car loan, home loan, etc., etc. This just gets you into that habit. If so, nothing else, it's just emergency money available. What a great point. Yeah. And I've used it like that. I remember I was in a situation once where I had to go to the hospital and I had to make a down payment of 50k. Yeah. And I think my bank balance didn't have that much at that yeah. point. I, I just swiped my card. Absolutely right. I kind of missed that one. Good one. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And of course, points. Uh, yeah, rewards. Yeah. Reward How about points. that? Free, I mean, uh, who doesn't want free flights? Who doesn't want free flights? Today, you've got cards that just lavish their stuff on you and they really go out of the way to ensure that you have a great experience. Every, I mean, there are miles, there are hotels, there's so much you can do out I there. recently figured that I have golf access on two of my cards, <laughs> which I somehow didn't know till now. Yeah. And that itself is like a great thing if you're remotely want to avail of any of those I things. cannot hit the ball, man. I tried once. I think we we, we were at Ambi and there's a, there's a course. Yeah, there's, really there's a PGA certified and course. Our friend, uh, oh, it's PJ certified. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So our friends took us out there and I could not hit the ball. I mean, and then I had to come back and do the putting and all that. But I know it's a lot of fun. I do, you know, I really enjoy watching it. Um, If I had a chance, would I learn golf? Yeah, but you know, I, I wish I'd planned for this in my 30s. I was just going to say 30s <laughs> is a good time to learn golf. Yeah. Coming from an army background, we had access to golf when we were growing up. And only in 12th standard, there was this golf uh, coaching thing happening. And dad insisted that I go for it. And Which part of India was this? Because was you guys have traveled, This right? was in Bareilly. Wow. And uh, man, that was the best thing. Uh, you you get hooked onto it. The moment you yeah, get it, yeah. it, it's crazy. It looks so easy, right? It lo you're right. It looks so easy. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't hit the ball. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Whenever I watch the Masters or whatever it is, you know, the, the entire Grand Slam period, I, the, that's, that's the one thing that I really wish that I had picked this up and I could play it and I had friends. Because... It's a great place to chill with your friends. Honestly, you know, that's what I've thought. I've, not many options, I think, in Bombay as compared to maybe a Delhi. You've got uh, Chembur, you've got Mahalakshmi and all, but you're absolutely right on that also. couple of things going back sure. to what you said. Uh, one, of course, uh, I think eating out is a big expense for a lot of us. And Bombay is just expensive now. Very. Like when I go to Bangalore, it feels kind of cute. Mm -hmm. Because Bangalore is so well-priced, you go to Pune or something. Bombay is ridiculous. You can't do anything about it, right? Yeah. And you go to hang out with friends. So I think there's no, uh, there's, there's no, there's no hack about it. I was on Ashton's show, the the habit coach, and he asked me the same thing. What do you do about this? I said, listen, you know, the definition of friends is people who you can hang with. 
they should not be people that you aspire to so choose your friends wisely if these are people who expect you to you know to go to an asilo every week or you know hang around and that kind of thing and if that's not your thing then you need to reconsider that the second thing is you said that uh, apart from the insurance from your company get another insurance sure, yeah. uh, why is that though so that because you don't know what the company's insurance covers for okay and usually that's like a blanket cover that the company buys for 100 people your needs might be different and this gives you that much more flexibility something's not covered out there it'll be covered out here it just gives you and you can all that's going to always be with you irrespective of whichever job you go for because you might change your jobs and you don't yeah. know what the cover you know what might be covered here versus might be covered there so it's usually a good idea to have your own independent policy which is suited precisely to your needs which are you know which could be unique you might want a family cover which the company might not want to provide and sometimes it works the other way the company covers are actually better but this still works for you because you're independent you're not always dependent on the company yeah fair point and uh, when you say that you know ask yourself where, where do you want to be in your 40s and 50s what's yeah. the kind of answers you've heard uh, so one thing is that by 40 getting rid or rather providing for your essentials is a big thing like at 40 i need to have my essential stuff sorted whether it is you know rent whether it is one car whether it is having visibility for my kids schools and all that and then i want to see now what my options are in life i'm kind of you know i'm 15 years into my job let's assume that you're 25 to 40 yeah so you kind of start setting goals for when you're 45 or 50 say that this is it at this age now i'm done and i'm now going to go back to what i really wanted to do when i was in school or whatever you know and then making a profession out of something that you love this by the way does not mean that you generally go to the hills retire and you grow vegetables i'm not talking about that stuff yeah. a lot of people have that and you know fair respect to them if that's what rocks their boat then great no here i'm talking of people who want to pursue careers where the income is not predictable okay which means that you want to be in a situation where your expenses are taken care of you will cut back on your exp- the lifestyle expenses and you want to pursue stuff that you really really like doing and i've had people like absolutely diverse kind of things yeah teaching kids okay um photography is a big one for yeah. for a lot of people travel is a big one but again travel is also expensive and especially when you're in your late 40s and you know that point of time you you can't do the whole backpacking yeah thing. you're not doing hostels you're, and stuff yeah. <laughs> you're not that really adds up yeah So that then you know then they have to figure okay how do I do my income stream and that's when they go back to their core skills like you know if so, someone for example has worked in the stock market so I I I know someone who does that he ensured that for 15 years he invested in enough companies that would give him enough dividends that could take care of his his essential expenses for the literally the rest of his life mix of debt and equity whatever and then this guy would travel okay and whenever he saw some ups and downs in his income or whatever it is he would trade Okay I'm not saying trading is a recommended thing trading again is a very difficult thing but he was reasonably taken care of and he's also now leading a reasonably good life obviously I wouldn't compare him to someone who is still working those guys have now gone to the next level because they also working for 10 years more right they've got even more money so you have to accept that you have to cut back on some stuff if you really want to pursue your passion now what your passion is something that i can't yeah say for everyone you know it could be a different thing for different people but like i said you will then switch to something whose income you're not sure of but you've got enough money to take care of your expenses for longish period of time is trading suddenly a new thing again because my instagram is flooded with yeah. courses oh, all the best to them i wouldn't touch that with a barge pole i would not i mean there's too much of it's just not 
for me okay i'm not saying that trading is you know a fool's this yeah. but there's enough there's enough data to show again it's it's something that we've spoken about a lot on the show on my podcast the odds of you consistently be beating the markets are tough yeah. very good chance that you'll you know you'll have some massive payout days few and far between very high chances of you losing the in- entire thing also very soon so yes please do all the courses you know you'll make, you'll make the trainer very rich uh, and if you can learn something from there um you would need exceptional skills to be in that very top percentile of people who make obscene amounts of money and those who do do not do it by chance they spend 18 hours a day upwards just doing that over and over again 5 days a week weekends included it's a tough life i wouldn't you know want that yeah this sounds like 45 minutes a day in the morning and <laughs> no no it's done <laughs> no man trading is tough we'll take a short break and when we come back we'll talk about some sound and perhaps some stupid investment choices you can also make in your 30s welcome back to anish thing i'm with anupam anupam 30s that's the whole topic today what are some sound investment decisions you can make and some perhaps stupid investment decisions you can also make <laughs> sound is i think get your asset allocation right again i wish i was told this 30s i just wanted the next multi pack i just wanted that stock which would go up 10 times and 100 times and i actually got one but i sold which was that <laughs> let's not go there <laughs> but i sold too early see that's the thing regret is a tough thing man Anyway, you know, so a sound investment is always something that is regulated by the market, and there are rules for that. You know yeah. that you do don't go into any shady stuff, um, whether it is stocks, whether it is mutual fund, whether it's equity, whether it's debt. All of that stuff is what I would consider as sound. I think setting up a good strategy, whatever it could be, sixty percent equity, forty percent debt, uh, whatever rocks your boat. Usually, hundred minus age. is a good barometer to go by a lot of people re- recommend that i personally haven't done that i've always been 100% in uh, equity because that's my career so getting that piece right is sound you know okay that i want 60% in equity 40% in debt or whatever your number is within equity i'm going to put half in let's say equity mutual fund and the other half in stocks that i've really 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 researched well or i can put the entire thing in in equity mutual funds within that i'll you know choose between Large cap in index funds, um, and small and mid cap in active stuff. There's again something that's come to me from our guests on the show. It's not uh, I don't you know I don't give financial ad- advice for a living. I think that would be sound. I think that if I had caught on to that also earlier, I think things would have been a little bit different for me. Um, so that's the sound part. The stupid part, honestly, I just give you my 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 own example of selling something that uh, that's again that. to me has always come across as a regret with a lot of people right fund managers that i have met they don't mind buying into a stock a little bit late okay let's take the example of uh, bajaj finance that's like a pet among everybody there's a stock that used to be in you know three digits or something back in the 2000s and all that and today it's like um some 5800 or something after going to 8000 and a lot of people you know had ample time to you know sit and analyze a company etc etc A lot of them bought, doubled their money, then doubled their money, and then doubled their money, and then sold, and then the stock again went up five times. So regret keeps on coming a lot to me from these, from a lot of conversations that I've had. It doesn't matter if they've got other stocks that have done also very well, but letting go of a stock that you had and then went on to double is kind of. Uh, so that's what I would put in the stupid category. If you have a good framework for why you want to sell, 
won't come in the thirties, by the way. You sell just because you've doubled your money. And that's a good thing to stick by. Okay, stupid. I why people go into stuff like crypto. I don't know what. See, I'm a believer in the entire thing. Okay, it has a future. Obviously, things will shape out. I don't know what they will be. I would rather buy crypto when it's. I would rather buy Bitcoin when it's hundred thousand dollars. But why an ETF? Yeah. Why an index fund? Because I know that you know I'm going to get my stuff back. Exchanges have collapsed. I mean, what does SBF? How does an I, exchange I collapse? It. How does the so? Yeah, that's what I would put out there. Stuff that you do not understand, stuff that you cannot liquidate, stuff that locks you up. Avoid that. I would not go into that. For me, liquidity is like a really big thing. I have no problems in earning a lower rate of interest, right? I'm a big fan of FDs myself, okay, which again gets me a lot of pain and grief and all that. But I love them for the fact that FDs are the only product that gives you a guaranteed rate of return, return of capital, and it's 24-hour access to your money. You press yeah. a button and you get the money back. So yeah, I mean that's that's what I would say. Sound and stupid. For me, crypto is one thing that like again I've seen so many people suddenly get into crypto, right? And I still don't understand most of it. And I have friends who work in the crypto space, and every time they'll be they'll be telling me something. I was like, dude, if I can't understand this <laughs> in one minute, yeah. how is this uh, making sense? And yeah, just that whole. Tell me one thing. How do you approach it as a founder? You know, because I mean, crypto? No, no, no. Your money as a founder, because that's a totally different ball game. I've been talking all this while throughout for people who've got salaries and all that. Like I said at the start of the show. I can't for the love of me figure out how it would be for. So for me, I've I've never had a corporate job. <laughs> so how about that? Huh? Yeah, so I've come from that space where salary, monthly salary, was never a thing. Yeah. So when I came to Bombay and started working, still remember I got a assignment and I got a check for five thousand rupees, and that from a very prominent uh, restaurant in Bombay that's no longer there. Hmm. That five thousand rupee check bounced. Are you serious? And I was like, dude, how can that happen? <laughs> But for me, it's only when at Hipkask and at Swami, you get a salary, and I was like, wow, this actually feels great. Yeah. Uh, to have a monthly salary, but I think as a founder, what I see generally is that it's very glorified to raise money, and this is what I tell everyone: if you're good without raising money, do that. Mm. Raising money is not the goal, right? Uh, growing revenue is the goal, but I think in India we just glorify fundraise so much, and we don't talk about failures and the kind of pressures founders also go through. Oh yeah. yeah so uh, just because you're a founder and your company also might be doing well, it, your salary could be very normal. Also, your salary will be approved by a board or investors or whatever. And <laughs> and India again, I think somewhere has a mentality that founders should just keep working, working, struggling, struggling. Uh, There's a good chance you might not even get your salary on time. Oh yeah, of course. Salary on time is a luxury that a lot of people <laughs> would have because you'll al always pay yourself last, right? If there is a cash flow uh, issue or something. But I think as a founder, you definitely need to have decent amount of. If you have a cushioning, that'll be great. Uh, I never had a cushioning, of course. I do come. I do recognize my privilege that I have a home, or yeah, yeah. I know I can still figure out and borrow money if I really have to. Uh, but. It is. It can be very tricky. Yeah. And like you said, right? Thirties. If you are setting your goals right. Yeah. Uh, my goals could be completely linked to how Swami is going to do in the next three years. The good part about that, I feel, is that you're already pursuing your passion. Yeah. The stuff that you really love to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you've put everything that you have out there. Yeah. In 
in your case it's swami in the case of our listeners it might be something else yeah. i think a lot of the people that are here from the corporate job don't get to do that yeah time and again and especially in these last you know five odd i would say post 2014 right when the whole startup boom happened in india kind of regret because by the time you're in your mid 30s or 40s mid 40s also you spent 20 years in a job at that point of time jumping to a startup doesn't come easy saying that i'm going to quit my job i'm going to start my whole thing your risk taking appetite has completely changed you can't take failure i mean you i mean you yes you can take failure but that thinking that it could compromise your finances kind of softens that like i'm 50 and i know for a fact that i can't sell everything and start my own startup no way yeah. so that's what i'm talking about like sonika says she could never do it yeah uh, but she said that huh yeah So uh, Sonika's my sister has been on the podcast as well. Yeah. Uh and she does fantastically well in her job but she and is very clever. And she's been doing stuff that she likes because I've been following yeah. her try I mean she was yeah. at NDTV and yeah. you know and now so her, her so trajectory is great like yeah. very very inspirational but she's like I would never do what you guys do. Yeah. It's also uh, because she's got a very satisfying job in yeah. the work work that she yeah. does and you know a lot then depends on the company because the company just takes a lot of care of their employees not and many her, companies do that yeah her company does i had a pretty interesting experience the other day we were interviewing someone mm-hmm. and she was like i want to know how much money does the company have and what's uh, what kind of runway do you guys have for the next year two three years four years or whatever <laughs> so i was like well what happened she's like my current company we've not been paid for five months yikes and we don't know what's five happening months which is well, that's tough uh, yeah it of course and i just had to tell her that listen you could be a unicorn startup huh. and you could shut in 2 months like just again going back to the point that just because you're well funded huh are you serious doesn't mean that you'll be there for it's not guaranteed right no i know it's not but yeah but yeah wow so even when well, people yeah. are joining funded startups that expectation that suddenly things are going to exponentially grow and all mm. uh, like like esops for example in india it's not too many liquidation events for startup esops right there have yeah. been some but there have not been that many at the end of the day and i've i've had a couple of friends who again in their 40s and late 50s got lured into startups and jumped ship you know after spending a fairly long period of time in a well in really well established company then they don't have great experiences yeah. like we got good salaries esops and all but they just ringed i mean they just nichod they bolte na hindi mein like long hours and for 50s especially is not the time when you want to be doing 18 hour days you don't want to be doing that there's a lot of stuff that's going on out there on the health front you want to have your life sorted at least by that point of time yeah and and like what i was saying earlier as a founder you're expected to be uh working every weekend and and of course if there is work you will do it but that shouldn't be the culture or the norm you also need to have enough time for yourself to be recharged to ultimately build things right which i have to ask you my kid loves watching shark tank i have no idea why actually i, I do have an idea why i uh, love shark tank you there you go see yeah, yeah. what do you think about how real is that stuff in the sense of the whole founders thing pitching and you know the vcs of whoever they are kind of the sharks what do you think about that i think it's a great format uh, so india one i think i think they i can already see a lot more improvement this year uh, in terms of how the sharks are Uh, behaving i think they've got a much better hang of it but i've been a big fan of shark tank uh, US. Uh, the us one and the good thing there is that you have people who've again even on the indian one you have people who have companies that are valued extremely highly and like someone like a boat like i love i love what amans built right it's just the revenue they're making is absolutely crazy so 
I think it's good that when you're pitching to people who've built companies rather than just VCs. Because uh, I think to me, the VC mentality is looking at an Excel sheet versus if you're pitching to another founder, they know how tough things can be. And, and, and you need that angle of reality to come in. Like on Excel, everything looks great, right? 20% month on month, 100% growth, this, that. You know, practically that most likely is not going to happen. Yeah, one question that I keep on used to get asked back when fundraising was great is, what do I do as a 30-year-old if I've just sold out? I've yeah. got like a massive yeah. chunk of money out there. I don't know what to tell those kind of people. And very few and far between. Um, all the best to them is, is what I would say. I think for, for them, funding their next venture kind of happens from that money. Yeah. Some of it, of course, goes to, like I said, I... Ayashi Karcha, so you'll suddenly yeah, have if like you've a, sold your company and got a good exit, come on. Little, little bit of that is there, see? very well yeah, deserved. Yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> I have no problems with that. If you buy a house then, now yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. But committing to a home loan at the age of twenty-five for a twenty year product, which is going to eat up 30, 40, 50 percent of your salary, not sure that's a good place to at be. At what age would someone's education loan get over if they have that? I don't know how those mechanics work, but I believe that if you're someone who's an MBA, um, the loan also depends on how the credit, the person who's giving you that loan assesses your chances of getting a job. Okay. The US has a pretty tough scene. I think the, the legislation has to be passed out there to ease out some. India is not really that in, in that boat. My guess is, I don't know, maybe the first two or three years should take care of your education loan. And I, I know that sounds like a lot, but I think that you know education loans are still on the higher side in terms of interest rates. And I'm here, I'm talking only of the MBA ones. Okay. Undergrad is still new. But yeah, it should take you a couple of years out there is what I think. Thanks so much, Anupam. This was great. I think we'll, we'll quickly wind up. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I can, I'll just reiterate my whole goal planning thing. Yeah. Uh, goal planning thing, learning. Learning is something that you really must do. Setting a good foundation, spending time on understanding your finances. I think that is something that gets easily glossed over. I would, for example, recommend um, a really close monitoring of your income and expenses and, and your savings. Look at it this way, that in 10 years from 30 to 40, if you're just committed to, say, a 10,000 rupees SIP versus increasing that SIP every year, that itself can make a huge difference at the end of 10 years. Okay, so regularly committing your um, commitments to the markets, uh, savings to the, uh, in investments to the markets, and setting a really strong foundation. And please learn about finances. I mean, by by thirties, if you don't know, say what's the interest rate on your credit card, or how an insurance policy works, or if you don't have a demat, then I think you need to really re relook that thing. But be aggressive in saving. I think 30s is what really matters. That's the only thing I would just recap the entire thing. Any resources people should look at? Of course, there's your podcast, your book, uh, but any other apps or Instagram accounts? No, man. I <laughs> I don't. I just write, write and write. But Zerodha University uh, is a is a pretty good resource. I mean, it's, it's a portal and it's got pretty much everything you want to know about the stock markets. My book has references to, I think, about four or five books. People can read up on that if they want. And I think if you follow a few good, sensible people, you know, on Twitter or whatever is your social media, yeah. there's, there is uh, Reddit's got a fantastic India investment subreddit out there, which has got like some huge uh, fan base. So you've got to choose, you've got to curate your content in the way that you like. Are you someone who likes to read in peace? Then you probably need blogs and books for that. If you're someone who likes to keep constantly updating in a conversation format, then Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, I have no idea, by the way. Uh, but please choose your content a little bit seriously. You know, there is no 
unfortunately there's still no quick there are some instagram accounts that dance and give you like finance <laughs> advice and like that's where we've come to now nothing wrong in that as as long as it spreads the message of awareness and not making a quick buck yeah it's all cool like no the, the, this one wasn't even about quick buck but it's like this is serious stuff that someone should be paying a lot of attention to but i think that's to do with our attention span at yeah. the end of the day it's okay whatever yeah. you know rocks people's boats and if they can understand it in that format all the best of them yeah. cool thank you so much for being here thanks for having me anish i hope you enjoyed the episode and if you did please feel free to reach out to me or anupam on social media we're also on youtube all the episodes of anish thing are on youtube so please check that out as well